Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. It's not how you start, but how you finish. We are your co-hosts, Solomon and Jamila Jefferson. We want you all to know, no matter the cards we've been dealt in life or the mistakes we've made, we will not allow our past to determine our future. We welcome our guest, Cardell Sims, to share some of his incarcerated and returning citizen journey that allows him to serve as a prison expert, re-entry specialist, mentor, speaker, author, host of the Re-Entry Journey podcast, and so much more. Welcome, Cardell. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it. Praise God. It's a blessing to for you to be in our presence, bro. Oh, yeah. It's always a blessing to be able to reach out and connect and meet people that we're all in the same field doing the work that God set us forth to do and living in our blessings. Now, can you briefly share a little bit about yourself personally and professionally? I like to say I'm a formerly numerous incarcerated individual, meaning that I've been to prison more than once, more than twice, actually four times. I've been to prison, uh, stayed in the federal, grew up in a polished neighborhood. Uh, my mother was on drugs real bad, so I learned how to hustle at an early age. I adapted a mindset that I was a product of my environment, and that mindset landed me in and out of prisons all the way up to federal prison. In federal prison, while facing my time, they handed me a piece of paper. It said Cardell Sims versus the United States of America. And it's just something about seeing that. It made me ask myself, why do I keep finding myself in the situations? The only answer I came up with was I was the reason why. So I started working on a personal development and just started making a whole total mindset shift and preparing myself for my release. And once I got out, that's how I got in the field that I am professionally now, reentry coaching, because I felt like it was my duty to take everything that I learned and everything I put together to help those on the inside prepare themselves for when they get out for reentry. Amen. And I thank God that you mentioned, you know, you had this aha moment because listening to some of your podcasts, you know, I heard you say like that was, I guess, the point where you saw versus your name versus the United States was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you taking accountability and responsibility and not playing victim. Like you're like, okay, I have to look at me. So what a blessing that you came to that point, uh, yeah. you know, of acceptance and self-awareness. Yeah. And that was the major point because the thing was, I could look around and say, oh man, even though I was on the case with 31 other people, even though I have some people telling on me, I, it was a lot of, of video surveillance, wiretap. It was a lot of people that I can blame, but the reality was I kept mm-hmm. finding myself in these situations, not nobody else, wasn't the judge, wasn't the prosecutor. I was putting myself in there. In order for me to really change myself, I had to just take accountability. Now, Brother Cardell, what was your prison experience like? My first prison experience was shocking. 23 years old, going into Missouri Department of Corrections with a 19-year sentence. And when you walk into the prison that I walked into on the side, on the wall, it has a sign in red letters that says, leave all your dreams and hopes behind. And so my first prison experience at that age, I just really... It was real bad because I was always in the mix of stuff. I was what we call jailing. My last prison experience, which was the federal prison experience, it was totally different. I was actually preparing myself for my release, doing a lot of reading, studying, engaging in reading different type of books, engaging in different type of conversations to help me prepare for my release. Because the previous times I've been to prison, I didn't prepare myself. I was just doing the prison stuff that people in prison do that really not concerned about what they're going to do when they get out. 
Yeah, wow. Yeah. And I noticed like on the inside, Otis, the re-entry academy. Did you want to share a little bit about that or do you want to wait until later? Um, we could talk about Otis. Like I said, Otis is the acronym for On the Inside. I started the re-entry program with, I don't want to say the belief, I want to say faith. The reason why I say that because belief sometimes is perhaps what we think is the truth and faith is what we know to be the truth. And what I know is that re-entry starts on the inside, a twofold thing on the inside of prison and on the inside itself. So that's how I came up with Otis Academy, where we focus on personal development inside of the prisons. Amen. Praise God. I can relate to that because I can definitely agree that re-entry starts on the inside. Because I heard you say you went, you was locked up about four different times. Yes. Well, I was locked up 17 times. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And and the reason why I said we got a lot in common because all of those times prior to the last time, I wasn't prepared to come out. I kept going in with the same mentality that I came out with. But the last time, November 28th, 1999, I started the Bible study. Okay. I started a choir. I started preaching in prison. And I brought all of that out with me. And to this day, I've been on the battlefield. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, a, so I thank God for that. Uh, that's Amen. a blessing. Uh, God got you in the trenches and he, he trusting you to do his work. Um, it really does start on the inside. Yes. I argue that a lot with people because even like in 99, when you got out, even in 2007, when I first got out of prison the first time, it's different than it is now. Right. You, you have the resources you have formerly incarcerated individuals to start companies that's hiring formerly incarcerated individuals. You have these reentry programs. You have people like you. You have people like me that's helping. The biggest thing, even though the housing things we haven't gotten good hold on because housing is how housing is, but a lot of times people come out of prison not prepared mentally or personally to take on these resources, to go apply these resources. And just like you were I was getting in and out of prison. I was ready, but I wasn't prepared ready. Everybody's ready to get out of prison, but I wasn't prepared. And that prepared to me is personal development. So you can be able to come out and recognize and take advantage of these resources. And I agree with you 100%. And all that starts with a new mindset. Exactly. Amen. And I noticed when I'm listening to some of your work and podcasts and episodes, you said you had to have an ID. You had to have your birth certificate. And you have to have your social security card. So it's like being proactive, you know. So when you're out, did you want to expound on that a little bit? And Because then one of the most important things you're going to need when you get out of prison, that's the foundation of everything that you have to do. In order to get an ID, you're going to need your birth certificate, social security card. In order to get the social security card, you're going to need birth certificate. If you don't have the ID, you're going to need the birth certificate. Inside of Missouri prisons, people are able to you can go to your caseworker or you can have your family members get your birth certificate and ID and they can mail it in to you and it sits in your file waiting for your release. Oh. And when you get released, you have that. You won't have a state ID, but you'll have your prison ID. So when you go to get your state ID, you have your birth certificate, social security card, and a state issue ID in form of a prison ID. And then that way you're able to get your ID. And that basically covers a lot of things. Even when you get a job, they're going to ask for two form of identification. So them the most important things that you can have getting released as far as physical things. 
is don't cost too much. You social security cards free. And then the birth certificate, depending on what city or state you're in, it might cost you in between $15 to $25. In Missouri, it's $15. You simply go to your health department in your city and let them know that you're needing to get a birth certificate. They're going to ask you what state and city was you born in. You give them that information. They pull your birth certificate up, print it out right there, legal copy. Now you're able to use it. So when and why did you come to the conclusion to change? And I know we talked a little bit about it. But if you wanted to expound even further, the first part was seeing Cardell Sims versus United States of America. Mm -hmm. But the most important part was I had two fears about prison. One was I will be in prison and a natural disaster happens in the world. And now I'm stuck in prison and I can't get out. And I have to guess finish my life off that way. I don't know what made me think of that, but that's just a fear. I did not want to be in prison and a worldly disaster happens. Similar to like, I wouldn't want to be in prison with COVID going on. And that was one fear. And then another fear was I didn't want to grow old inside of prison. During my time in prison, I had a chance to see a lot of brothers grow old inside of prisons. I seen people come to prison for the first time in their 40s, 50s. And I just, I had a fear that, you know, the rate I was going, I could sense that that was going to happen to me. Like I was going to be in prison in my 40s, 50s, and 60s. And I already missed out on my children's graduation and everything. And it's just them three things, the seeing my name, the fear of being in prison with the, a natural disaster and the fear of being growing old inside of a prison pushed me to saying, you got to do something different. Well, I knew in order for me to do something different, I had to get myself together. Amen. Amen. It sounds like to me, those three things what really motivated you. Cause I can understand that because what motivated me was I got tired having birthdays, Christmases and New Year's in prison. And not only that, I got tired of hurting my children and my parents. But most importantly, though, I got tired of hurting myself because each time I went to prison, I didn't look like me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm be honest, man. I, I was on crack. Right. So when I went to prison, it was saving my life each time I went. Amen. Amen. Mm, and that's a blessing in the skies. Um, they say mm -hmm. you'll find you a person finds themselves where they can solve their problems best. Right. Praise God. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you want to get back? I felt like it was my duty. When I got out of prison and was building what I was building, I had no intentions of being in the reentry field. I just wanted to be a life coach. I wanted to help people. What happened was I wrote a book called Inmate the Inspiration. And even though I would share my story here and there, this book actually shared my story. It was kind of like my autobiography. And a friend of mine, his name is Melvin, Melvin uh, Nunnery. He got a sports app called Scholly Me, which connects student athletes with colleges. I went to him for advice, mentor, because that was one of the biggest things that I had to get at when I got out was find a mentor. And I, found, I happened to find several mentors and I was talking to him and he was like, you're not doing what your calling is. And I said, what do you mean? He was like, man, you got this amazing story. I read your book. That's what you need to be doing is working in the reentry. And he was like, I know you're giving back with your nonprofit organization and the things y'all doing in the neighborhood. He was like, but this is your strong point. You're an expert in this field. And so from that point on, I took his advice and I really locked in on the reentry field and focusing in on giving back and taking everything that it took for me, all the knowledge and everything I gained to get to the point to go back inside the prisons and prepare those getting out so they never have to return to prison again. Praise God. I like that because here's one thing about my personal experience. 
I realized whatever God allow you to go through, he allowed you to help somebody else come through it. Because up until recently, I was involved still going to the prisons, you know, for probably about 17 years until, you know, unfortunately I couldn't go anymore because my son ended up being in there. So they, they cut me off because of the father-son relationship. They wouldn't let me go back in. But I guess for about 17, 18 years, I was part of prison fellowship and I would always go back and I would pen pal. And you know, you know how I go. Do yeah, all those yeah. good things because you got to get back. Because you, you got to. Back. To me, service is king. Amen. Amen. Service is king. You have to, in order to be a great leader, you got to be a servant. That's just how it is. People get out and say, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. And one of the first things I say is, well, how are you going to serve? How are you going to serve the community that you're back in, that you're going back into? Like with me and my nonprofit, we served the community. I stood on the corner and with a gang and destroyed the whole neighborhood. And now I built a nonprofit designed to rebuild that neighborhood. That's my service. Amen. Amen. Is that nonprofit North N O R T H dot org? Yep. North organization. Do you want to share a little bit? Yeah. Organization. Uh, North organization is my nonprofit organization. It's an acronym for North Side Organization, reinventing the honor. Uh, the city I come from is the grew up on the north side of town. That's where the majority of the black people lived at. In my time of selling drugs, I witnessed a lot of property, not just from our crime and stuff like that, but just the neighborhood deteriorating and a lot of houses and property and everything getting tore down to where now there's a lot of more open lots than it is actually property as far as houses and, and stores. We don't have no storefronts over there except for one dollar general. So what we do in the North organization outside of our annual events, which consists of a Easter egg hunt for the children, day in the park for the community. We did COVID drives and things of that nature. We did uh, housing where people can come in and see if they qualified for a housing loan or a loan to build on the, some of the open land that we have over there. We're looking to, uh, our future overall is to build a headquarters and not just that, to have a learning center for our youth, but all the empty lots of land, we want to put houses or businesses on it. Praise God. We have a lot of people that donate the land to our North organization. So what we build on there will be named after the person that donated the land. So it leaves them a legacy as Praise well. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Brother Carter, in your opinion, what is the most important aspect of reentry? Mental health and personal development. Amen. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, the reason why I say that because, it's, as I said earlier, it's a lot of resources that's already out there for those returning. But sometimes people forget reentry is bigger than housing, transportation, clothing, and food is bigger than that. You got to learn how to rebuild and repair relationships. You're going to have to learn how to communicate, not just with your family, but with your parole officer and any other agencies that you're going to be dealing with. You got to be able to have the mindset to go through and accept all the no's that you may hear on your journey. So the mental health and the personal development is the biggest thing because and the most stepped on thing because of the fact it's not physical and people not able to say, oh, we got him in housing. Or, oh, we got him some transportation. No, these things right here is the baseline to be able to build on top. And if you're not mentally or personal developed to uh, take advantage of everything that's offered to you, then you're going to find yourself using the same excuses and reverting back to the same things that led to your incarceration in the first place. Amen. Thank you for sharing that because I remember hearing you 
on one of your episodes share about how a psychiatrist or a therapist is really important to, you know, be able to be open to connecting with. Oh, Did yeah. you want to share a little bit about that? Because like you said, like you could give people resources all day long, but if they're not mentally at the point of being able to appreciate it and allow it to benefit, then it's just like going through the motions with the same old mindset because you're going to end up back where you started. Right. right. Like, and yes, because some of the things that led us to prison, we never dealt with in the first place. And a lot of trauma that we may have faced growing up, certain type of house. Like, for example, with me, I grew up in a dysfunctional alcoholic addict household. My grandmother was an alcoholic. My grandpa died as an alcoholic. My aunties, all my aunties except for one, they was crack addicts. My mom was a crack addict. And my uncle was an alcoholic. And then that was all in the household that we grew up in. You know, back in the days, you stayed in your grandma's house, big mama house in a sense. My grandmother and all her kids lived in the house and then they had kids. And so majority of my aunties and uncles, even my grandmother was either an alcoholic or a drug addict. And so there's certain things that I witnessed growing up and that plays a part into the mindset and the mental state that can lead you up to incarceration. So incarceration, we already dealing with some mental trauma and some mental health and right. some personal development issues. And then going into a, a whole nother world where this doesn't even matter. You can't even say nothing about this. You better not even show no type of weaknesses or sign in this environment that you're dealing with any kind of problems because you will be taken advantage of. And even those that's dealing with mental health issues, they're giving med medicine. And then within six or seven months, you might not see them come out they sell, but for only med call. And so when them people get out, now they're getting out and they're not, their mental health is not being dealt with. And all of this is lined up. That's why I say that's the most important, because if you don't address that, the psychological changes that you may go through on your journey once you get out of prison could lead to you harming yourself or harming someone else. And you know what? You said something profound about the, the population of people in prison who's getting medicated. One thing from my experience of incarceration, there's no mental health going on. It's all medication. That's it. And that I remember there was a medication called Thorazine. Yeah. And I've seen people that I grew up with, athletes, walk around like zombies because all they want to do is medicate them and keep them peaceful. Right. And then, like you said, the only time they respond is when it's child time or medication call. And that's how mental health is dealt with inside the institution. Exactly. We're going to put them on the strongest medicine that we can. This basically, like you said, in six months, they'd be turned into zombies. That's it. That's how we're going to deal with it. And that's sad because, you know, just being in the healthcare profession or just in general, you know, medication can be a help, you know, to help balance the right amount and connect it with therapy and uh, community and faith, like it can all be very helpful. But when the motivation behind it to help, based on what I'm hearing you all say, then that's like, that's disappointing and that sucks because at the end of the day, it does a disservice to who the person is. Right. The sad part about that is, especially for us in incarceration, their main objective is all about money because mental health, it costs money. They're not going to pay for that. No, no, it's not. They're not going to pay for that. They're not paying for that because if the truth be told, 
and I'm just guessing, I don't have any research numbers, but probably 80% of people incarcerated have mental health issues. Yeah. So <laughs> they're not going to pay for that. I can't recall the direct number, but it's somewhere in between 70 to 80% of exactly. those incarcerated dealing with mental health. It's just like you said, you know, when on the streets, when you deal with mental health, you're going to go through an assessment. You know, you're going to go through these are in stages to, well, okay, okay, we figured this out. We diagnosed you. We feel like this is the best medicine as part of your treatment. Well, in the Department of Corrections, ain't none of that. They, when you get there, you know how it goes. You go in there and they ask you all these questions. Have you ever thought about suicide? And if you say, yeah, they're going to put you on a list to go get the medicine. They're not going to put you on a list to a mental health doctor because there's really no. not no mental health doctors inside of prison. So they're going to put you on the list to be prescribed medicines. And whatever the uh, nurses that see fit is the medicine for you back in the day, it was Thorazine. That's what it was called. Yes. Yeah, that's what it was. All you had to do was put a kite into the medical saying, yeah, I need some Thorazine and this is why. And most likely you get it. It's not no process. It's you feeling this way, we prescribe you medicine. We don't mean worry about if you talk to no one or not. We just want to give you the medicine. Yeah. And again, you know, that sucks. So hopefully, you know, going forward, like change could happen, even though it may take some time. But there's, you know, still hope, you know, advocacy and legislation and, you know, rights and stuff in regards to the mental health people. Well, things are starting to change. They're, slow, oh, yeah. they're changing slowly, but they are changing. Yeah, they are changing. I say within the next five to 10 years, you'll start seeing more mental illness programs designed for prison. Amen. Right now, you don't see a lot of people. I push personal development because I'm not skilled in a professional in the mental health field. So I push personal development because the prison system, it's hard to get programs inside the prison system because of the programs that have been in prison system for so many years now, they kind of get the, the go forth before all other programs. But now you see that some of these programs are not geared towards people that's incarcerated this era in time. And mental health is one of them things. So I think here we will start seeing a lot of mental health centers or companies start pushing that real heavy to get that inside of the prisons. Brother Cardell, what are you still learning about yourself through everything that you are presently doing? That there's always room for growth. And that comes from um, listening. Even though I share my story a lot, I'm starting to become more of a listener, being more of the listener in the communication process. Amen. And doing that has allowed me room for growth. Amen. What or who has been your greatest support? I would have to say my wife. <laughs> she has Amen. been my greatest support because the hours, all the hours that I put in on everything that I do, sometimes it takes away from the family. It's hard to balance that. At times, it gets hard to balance that. But, you know, my wife's been there. She's been pushing me. Uh, the times that I do spend a lot of times doing a lot of work, you know, she's very understandable. And that's been the one that's really been holding me down. And that's where the most effect comes from. Praise God. I'm glad you shared it because I feel like I pray that I am the same to Solomon Sonny because the work is so awesome. And to hear it's like a calling for you all. Like it's so natural because of lived experience. And so it's not just going through the motions. Whenever he had the tabling event for one of the nonprofits he served with, he's there. And even the other position he serves in, you know, he gives his all. And I just give God the glory for you all and others doing this work because 
people had to have hope. I think it was one episode that I got to listen to. And I think it was a virtual group or something, re-entry virtual number one. And I think the woman, it was two women on there. And she had mentioned, and you all were in agreement, that if you're not like genuine and you're going in the inside, like don't do it. Because people, you know, could see right through that. And they don't need the negativity. So I just thank God for y'all transparency, y'all compassion. The love that you all have and what it is that you all do really shows it to God be the glory. Thank you very much. That's to who the glory goes to. Amen. And one thing that I've learned, I've been doing this for a while, about 23 years, pertaining to giving back. Because I heard you say a while ago, I have taken so much away from the community that I was brought up from, which is in Delaware. I've taken so much away from them. I heard you was talking about they had 31 people on your list. We probably was like 76 deep. All of us didn't get arrested, but everybody in the community knew who we were. Right. We was basically a menace to our community. So what my father did two years before I got locked up, he started the ministry. And the ministry that he started primarily was because his son was a crack addict. So he started this ministry, and the ministry was designed to pray and fast every Friday. And you already know Friday is prime time. Mm -hmm. That's been all. (laughs) You know, (laughs) 4 o'clock on Friday till Saturday, things is pop. That's it, right. (laughs) I don't care who you are, what you're doing. If you don't make no money on Friday and Saturday, you're doing something wrong. Exactly. But the point I'm making is, I took so much from that community. As soon as I got saved and got out, I hit the road running, trying to inspire, educate, motivate everybody I possibly could. And I'm not taking no glory for it because it all goes to God. But every time I hear one of my old friends say, I got saved or I've been swimming for two years, that just gives me joy, man. Right. Because it lets me know that we all are on this battlefield. I'm pretty sure there's been some people that I was incarcerated with that are out here now doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And that gives me joy when I see them because these are the same people I used to get high with. Right. But now they dickens in churches, they evangelists, they got their own businesses. I mean, I just thank God for that. Yeah, I do too because he's the reason behind that. Amen. He gave you whatever it is in you that took for you to make it out of the situation and change it, he instilled that in into you. Exactly. And I'm pretty sure you can attest to this. When I was in my mess, in my own mind, I was a hustler. At first, when I first started hustling, I was hustling for real. But then I started hustling for somebody else because all I wanted to do was to get high. Right. So that was a hustle by itself because in order to get high, Every day for 17 years, you got to hustle somebody. Yeah, you got to. You got to. You know what I mean? got to. So the point I'm making is God didn't take that hustle from me. I still use it now in a positive way. Yeah, most definitely. Praise God. Yeah, I most definitely can relate to that. I wrote a book called Have, Keys to Success, Hustle. I mean, Have is an acronym for Hustle, Attitude, Vision, and Education. (laughs) Amen. I like all your acronyms. Yeah, have. You got to have it. Uh, that was one of the things, like, you got to have it. And like you said, I, I've always had to hustle. I just right. applied it in the wrong thing. 
Um, exactly. That goes back to what I tell the guys on the inside about uh, values, prioritizing your values, because a lot of times we have great values. I had values on the streets. I just used them values towards the wrong things. Like I was loyal to the game, to the block. Right. I was committed. I was dedicated. I went out there every day, sun up, sun down, and sold drugs and game bang like I was dedicated. So I had great values. I just applied them to the wrong lifestyle. And right. so I, I applied the same values and the same hustle to what I do now. And that's why I say, man, you, you done did a lot since you, within the five years that you've been home. I said, yeah, because that's all I've been doing. I've been hustling. I took the same hustle that I had Amen. and I applied it into the work and service that I do now. And you ain't done yet. Oh, no, 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 Amen. no, no, no. Just getting started. Just getting started. This Praise is, God. This, this is just God. one of the things on the list that I brought out with me that I could check off. It's a long one. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, we're going to get ready to close. But before we do, we have a few more questions. But I wanted to ask about the reentry support group that you started for those that are returning citizens and for their families. A lot of times, you know, when people are in the inside, their families are impacted, whether they're fathers, mothers, you know, sisters, brothers, uncles, aunts, children. Did you want to share a little bit about that and your thoughts and how, you know, how people could be supported, the family members, in addition to those inside coming out? I started the reentry support group just for that reason. Support group for those reentering along with the family members. How I grew the group was Every time I had a guest on my podcast, I would stream. Only place you could watch my podcast at the time was inside the reentry support group because the podcast was made for those in the group so they can hear the stories of people that was incarcerated, got out and do some amazing things and some tips that they would get. And so I built that group for that. And so what we do is the support group for a person getting out of prison is important. What I like about how it can work today is now. Even though it's best to have a support group physically there, you're able to find mentors and people to be putting your support group virtually. And so now, because some places people don't have a support group, some people are going back into the same environment that they're getting out to, and they don't know how to navigate their way out of their environment to find the right support group. We know that majority of people are on their phones now, right. Facebook and stuff like that. So I created that virtual group just for that reason. And so we started off with just having meetings once a week, but we transferred into a Facebook group. So we all could just be in a group throughout the day. We get tips. People come in, they ask tips about what they need to do. Their sons get their loved ones coming home. Is there anything that they need to do? And just like the birth certificate and social security card, there's some of the things that we name. Try not to make them make a lot of decisions once they soon, when they first getting out. Don't leave a lot of decisions in their hand because they're coming out of situations where they had no decisions in their hand. They came out of a controlled environment where everything that they did was already set scheduled. You was told when to go eat. You're told when you go to child. Uh, you're told when you can go on the next movement. So they're not really making a lot of decisions. So when you get out and you're putting a lot of decisions in somebody's hand, isn't used to making them decisions, it becomes overwhelming and anxiety. So we just, just do a lot of tips for those that have a lot of loved ones that's about to return home. We all work together. Many people from different states, we all work together and, and try to help each and every one of each other out. And that's Amen. a blessing. You maximize the technology because oh, yeah. virtual is free. You know, you <laughs> yeah. may be in different states and that is such a blessing to connect like that. Praise God. And then we also part of what, how we're trying to advance that now is we're trying to get on the tablets in 
prisons. We're trying mm-hmm. to pick out the two biggest states in each prisons. And on the tablets, we're trying to put reentry resources in your area. So you'll be able to go on the tablet, put your city and state, and then it pops up housing, clothing, uh, mental health, and a lot of other things. And you have to click on it and have all these different nice. places that offer that resources in your area. Amen. Amen. So, so, yeah, so that's the overall goal for the reentry support group. Again, we back on the inside. We want to put the reentry support group on the inside. Amen. And how have families with those, their loved ones benefited from it as well? Oh, they benefited from it a lot. Exactly where they need to go in their area to find help and speak with whoever they need to speak with prior to their loved one getting incarcerated. So it's kind of like a network and say somebody in the group is from California. And they say, you know, I got a son coming out. This is his first time being in prison. This is our first time ever going through something like this. What is it that I need to do? And so Mm -hmm. we just, we might just go down a checklist for the things. Do you have this? Do you have that? What are the strengths and what are the weaknesses of his return as far as what you can do? Is he got good housing? Because a lot of times people just get out because they have housing, but the housing now might be a healthy household. Right, right. You see what I'm saying? So sometimes people say, well, housing is bigger than just getting out and having an address to go to. We want you, you know, a healthy household. Well, what defines a healthy household? Then we determine this. Uh, Yeah, safe place. And so um, does he have, what about his education level? Is he a GED or does he need mental health? And so this is who you can go to in your area. So the family benefits a lot because a lot of families don't know exactly where to go because they're not, they're dealing with this for the first time right. in a sense. And so we guide them and help them find the resources and stuff like that. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So what are some practical tools, scriptures, resources, et cetera, that can be helpful for those listening based on what we've been discussing and talking about? To me, the most practical tool is, and it's just real simple, just expectations, have expectations for yourself. The reason why I say that because once you start setting expectations for yourself, you're going to start working towards them expectations. Along working towards them, along that road of working towards them, certain things are going to start falling off that's not coinciding with, with the expectations that you have for yourself. Uh, when I got out, I had expectations to carry myself in a different way. I had expectations to not be out late at night. I had expectations not to be hanging around in this crowd. I had expectations to put myself in this position. But most importantly, I had expectations for myself to succeed and I had a blueprint. So everything that didn't go along with what I was had expected for myself, I cut off. Hey, man, people, places and things. I exactly. Tend to be a recurrent theme I continue to hear because, you know, when you mention healthy household, that's so important because you can have an address. But if it's not healthy, again, you're going to go back to what it is that you did that got you in there. Exactly. You know, it's just a matter of time. I like that when you said those expectations because when I got out the last time, I had them too. And the main expectation I had was to get my license, get my education, and stay away from negative people. And the issue with that was I lost a lot of so-called friends. <laughs> yeah, that comes you know, along I with mean, it. <laughs> I lost a lot of them. But it got to the point that I couldn't even get one of my homeboys to go out to dinner with me. But they always wanted $20. <laughs> you know, a good meal will cost you $35, $40. Oh, yeah, most definitely. They didn't want that. They wanted that 20 And we know what that 20 was for. Exactly. Yeah, yeah we man. definitely do. 
Um, person, place, and things you have to change. One thing I knew Amen. for a fact was I was going to have to change my environment. Even though I started my nonprofit organization to do what it does back in my hometown, I had to move away from my hometown because it's just what I was on when I got out of federal prison just wasn't what the city was on. And every time I got out of prison and I stayed, I ended up going back to prison. So right. an opportunity came where I was able to move to a whole other different city a few hours away. And I chose that because I knew that was the best thing for me and something that I expected for myself. Amen. And it was the best thing to happen to me. Praise God. Because Praise not God. only did I was able to leave everything else behind, I was able to move forward and put myself in a position that I'm in now. So that's the most important thing. A lot of people say, well, man, I can't just get up and move and stuff. So, yeah, that's the best thing for you. Then that's something. If you're incarcerated and you really want to um, be successful and you know that returning back to your same hometown, most likely send you back, then you need to tell your caseworker that um, to find your halfway house in a different city. You're starting off Amen. from square one anyway. So right, right. why you know why not start off square one in a new with Come a whole on. new beginning? What do you have to lose? Right, you have nothing to lose. So we're going to have closing comments, and then after that, you go uh, feel free to share, you know, your contact information if you're let do so, and you know other information like your books and stuff. So. Before we close, did you have any closing comments or thoughts? My only closing comments is I always say this, those that's going to be listening, tuning in, and especially those incarcerated. Remember this, for those that's incarcerated I have, don't let the limitations of your background reduce the height of your potential. I grow what you were born into. And for those formerly incarcerated and getting out, and or those that's not even formerly incarcerated but working in the reentry field, we must always remember Desmond Tutu said, we must just stop pulling people out of the river. We must go upstream to figure out why they keep falling in. Amen. Awesome. I like that. I've heard that before. That's prophetic. Amen. So can you please feel free to share your contact information if you're led to do so? I know you have a nonprofit and you have books and a podcast and your website and your social (laughs) media. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'll be like, man, I got a lot going on, but sometimes I feel like, yeah, but it's not enough. My um website is cardellsims.com. That's my reentry and personal website. My nonprofit organization's website is northord.org, N-O-R-T-H-O-R-G.org, O-R-G. Um, you can find me on all the social media outlets. I am Cardell Sims, Instagram, Facebook. LinkedIn, TikTok, I am Cardio Sims. I usually promote everything I do on there. Uh, my books, you can find on my website. I just dropped the reentry package. It's a three book package for those on the inside. I have a reentry guide, which is four ways to shift your mindset while incarcerated. It's a workbook. So you actually answer questions, doing work about yourself. Also on the package is my bio, Inmate to Inspiration. So it gives the person on the inside inspiration and they read the story of somebody who's been in his shoes, got out and did some amazing things. And then also in the package is the affirmation book for those incarcerated that I wrote. And it's called I Can, I Will, I Do, I Am. And it's just affirmations that you say that I use while I was incarcerated when I woke up every day and the stories behind them. So that's my reentry package. You can go to my Instagram and be able to click the link in my bio to get that information as well. Amen. 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 Praise God. We have been so blessed. Learn so much, and we pray that others who listen will be inspired and blessed as well. May God continue to bless your journey 
and all that it is that you're continuing to do, your family. And we just give God the glory. And I just want to personally thank you, man, for your transparency. We need more brothers like us to push this thing because really it's ministry. And I just pray that God continues to bless you and protect you and your family. God bless you, my brother. God bless you as well. And I pray to God that he continue to bless you both. I really appreciate the work that you're all doing, the platform that you have to shine the light and awareness on things that formerly incarcerated individuals and their families and incarcerated individuals are going through. I really appreciate all the work that you do and everything that I've done is to God be. Amen. God, God bless you. Glory. Amen. So no matter the cards we've been dealt in life or the mistakes we have made, it does not define who we are or where we are going. It is just a part of our story and the journey that God has us on to not only learn from these different experiences, but to sometimes be able to help support, encourage, and inspire others who may be going through similar situations. My husband and I have learned this to be true because of our different life experiences, which have led us in wanting to continue to share our story along with others to know it is not how you start, but how you finish.